Well, good morning. Contentment is what we're talking about this morning. Now, uh, interesting reflecting on the last few weeks, things Christians feel. We've, uh, what have we talked about? Joy. And I hope you've all had a wonderful, uh, happy week after we talked about joy. And uh, that I hope really that it has endured since and that you've continued to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, after joy, what did we have? Sorrow came next, and I'm not going to say that I wished you all a very sorrowful week, <laughs> but I trust that in your sorrow you have remembered the one who is for us, no matter what may come against us. Last week, who remembers? Aaron, Aaron's been punching people, he remembers, it was anger. How to deal rightly with our anger and our bitterness, to heed the warning that our bitterness gives us, that things are not right, to be those who forgive as we are forgiven, to be filled with the love of the Lord Jesus. And today we're going to talk about contentment. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, as we come this morning to reflect upon uh, this thing that you call us to, this, this contentment, we ask please that you would fill us with two things, that you would fill us with love for your Son, that He would be what we treasure above all else, and that you would fill us with a deep trust, knowing that whatever may come, you are for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think compared to the other emotions we've been talking about so far, contentment doesn't come naturally. Joy, we all feel it. Anger, we all feel it. Sorrow, we all feel it. But contentment, hmm. It struck me in particular as I was listening to the words of my six-year-old son. Oliver has discovered that his little MP3 player, his little music player, can also record him speaking. And he decided one afternoon that he was going to make a podcast. Now, if you're not aware of a podcast, it's just a series of audio recordings. And so over the course of that afternoon, he recorded six or seven minute long little thoughts of his. They're fantastic. I'm saving most of them for his 21st. But I wanted to share one of them with you. It's 50 seconds long, and listen to this insight into the mind of a six-year-old boy. Did you know that I am always, always bored? Because getting is better than... Because I think getting is better is better than having. Because when you get something, it's all brand new and fun and exciting. And then you only have a few turns with it. And then it suddenly starts to get boring and then you just get bored because all your toys all eventually end up getting boring so that's all I want to tell you about today in this record so that is it that is it getting is better than having says a six-year-old boy right I mean, if, if, if ever anybody has captured the spirit of discontentment, it's my son. How did he do it? I mean, lack of contentment, it expresses itself in all sorts of different ways, doesn't it? Whether it's the anxiety that we have in life about getting rather than having, whether it's our ambition and our desire to reach something better, whether it's the despair that comes when we don't reach something better. Perhaps it comes out in anger and frustration at our circumstances or the people around us. Perhaps we see it in greed and coveting. 
In the eternal words of a six-year-old boy, getting is better than having. Now, I take it we want contentment. I mean, why would you not want to be content? To be an individual who is happy and satisfied, who, who is secure and settled. Now, the dictionary adds this little sentence to it, right? We're happy and satisfied, often because you have everything you want. I mean, that's that terrific peace in your life, no matter the circumstances. Doesn't that sound nice? And yet, getting is better than having, says the little boy. Now, with that in mind, this introduction to contentment, this desire to be safe and secure and peaceful in our lives, it's fascinating what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 12. I don't know if you noticed that in the third reading as John read through it. Just look at the second bit, the second sentence there. In any and all circumstances, he says, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. Now, really, that's where I want to start. What is this secret? I mean, if contentment is so good and we all want it, what is the mystery that we need to know? Now, look, Christianity is not a Gnostic religion. This isn't about unknown knowledge that you have to kind of level up. Once you become a certain standard of Christian, then you can find the secret. We'll tell you the bit that we don't tell the people when they come in the door. It's not hidden knowledge for special people. It's certainly not like Scientology, right? Where depending on how much money you've paid, that's what they're going to let you know, the secrets. That doesn't work like that here. We have no idea what you put in the plate. The point isn't that it's a secret that is hidden and nobody can find out and Paul has managed to find the secret knowledge that nobody else knows. The point is in Christianity, all of these mysteries have been revealed. They are known. Paul has learnt in himself what is knowable and learnable. We too can learn the secret. We too can be content. Now, it would have been lovely if Paul had just finished that sentence, right? I've learnt the secret, and if he'd finished that sentence with, and here is the secret, that would have been really nice. I've learnt the secret, and here it is. Paul doesn't quite work that way. In fact, if you really want to get a good sense of it, you've got to study the whole book of Philippians, and to understand the whole book of Philippians, you've got to study the whole Bible. We don't have time for that this morning, strange as that may sound. So I want to show you just two ideas that I think are absolutely key to this secret Paul is talking about. Two keys to contentment. They're very straightforward, okay? They're easy to understand. They're nothing new if you've been at church for a while. The challenge is in learning them, is in deeply seating them in your soul and in your mind, is in living them. Here they are, here's the first one. Treasure the Lord Jesus above everything else. Treasure the Lord Jesus above everything else. It was in the first of, sorry, the second reading, the first one in Philippians. Listen again as I read to you from Philippians chapter 3. Listen to Paul's view of the Lord Jesus. Everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss, dung, right? There's the old translation. Wasn't that a good one? Negative because of Christ. More than that, I consider 
everything to be a loss, not even just what I had, everything in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith, my goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. I mean, isn't that an astonishing thing? You could take all the wealth in the world, all the power and prestige and fame, you could give Paul the most wonderful of families, the greatest of achievements, you could offer it all to him for his contentment, and he would look at it all, the, the piles... Do you know, someone has predicted that in the next 10 years, somebody in the world will become a trillionaire. That's an individual who is worth a million, million dollars. You could take that wealth and offer it to Paul for his contentment and he would look at it and say, but that would take me backwards. Why would I want that? Why would I trade my Ferrari for your little nothing? Why, why would I give in what I have that is the greatest and the best? Why would I trade the Lord Jesus? You hear that heart that treasures Jesus so much more than anything that delights in Him, that rejoices in Him, that rests in Jesus. You want to know the first key to this secret of being content? What do you value most in the world? I was reflecting on how do we go about treasuring things. What do we do with what we value the most? I know maybe you've got some special painting or a piece of jewellery, something beautiful that you just like to sit and look at. Or maybe you take it out and you polish it and then you put it back in its case again. Right? We, we have displays full of the things that we treasure the most. That's the one the kids aren't allowed to open. It's got glass on the front, of course, so that we can see it. Maybe it's the classic car. Right? I know we've got at least a few of them among us. Right? Bring it out on the weekend, give it another good polish even though it's done nothing since last weekend, but sit there being polished, but that's okay, it's got to look glorious, maybe we tinker with it a little bit, right? pull the leather just ever so slightly tighter, go for a little drive with our buddies, not too far, we don't want to get it a bit worn out, right? Show it off, take it to the show, maybe it's our children, maybe that's what you treasure, we sit and we watch them play, we delight in them. Hazel this week tasted ice cream, and she looked up at Edwina and she said, more ice cream? I love you. She didn't get more ice cream. But what a treasure. What a delight. I mean, what a thing to just... Ah. Our friends, is that what we value the most? We just want to be with them, sit with them, talk with them, share with them, cry, laugh. Spend life, our accomplishments, put the, put the plaques up on the wall, have the world know who we are. We treasure things so visibly and publicly and with our time and our affections and our energy. Do you want to be content? Then may the Lord Jesus Christ be number one in your heart. Now it's different, isn't it? We can't see Jesus, we can't touch Jesus, we can't wheel him out on the weekends and polish him. 
right? At least I hope you don't. That's a bad version of Jesus. Did you notice what it was that Paul said in verse 8? More than that, I consider everything a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. You see, how we have the Lord Jesus is through a relationship with Him. A relationship that comes in the first instance through our mind. Through knowing Him. We know about Him, lots of things about Him. This is even deeper, this is a true relationship. We treasure who He is, the Son of God come in the flesh. The one who lived the perfect life, the one who healed and raised from the dead and had authority like no other. The one who died, the innocent death in our place, the one who was raised to new life, who He is. We we value what He has done for us, taken our sin and put it far from us as the east is from the west and then given us an inheritance in heaven. We value what He is taking us to. In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. Contentment begins with having Jesus as our greatest treasure. Can I I then say that if you aren't content, if you're struggling with this, where, where do you go? I mean, okay, I want this, where do I start? I wonder if often it doesn't start with reckoning with our own sin. To treasure the Lord Jesus begins with having a deep sense of what He has rescued you from of who you are, not only who He is. That we have been so loved. He who has been forgiven much, forgives much. He who has been loved much, loves much. Can Can I encourage you to start thinking of little steps you can take every day to begin to value and treasure the Lord Jesus more and more and more? Just open your eyes to the idols in your life that are taking His place. Open your eyes to what are the things that are crowding Him out of your heart. Are you in prayer every day? Are you meditating on His Word? Do you look for His hand at work? Do you love Him? The first key is treasuring the Lord Jesus above all else. The second is to trust Jesus in everything. To trust Jesus in everything. I told you they're simple. I told you you already know them. There's nothing new here. The challenge is to live it. To trust Jesus in everything. We got a sense of that in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. Right, we go from verse 12. If Paul said, I know how to make do with little, I know how to make do with a lot. In any, in all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need, here it is, I am able to do all things through Him who strengthens me. There's His trust. Now, Philippians 4.13 is one of the worst memory verses in the whole Bible. Okay, if you're going to learn a memory verse, please don't learn Philippians 4.13. According to Bible Gateway, one of these online Bible sites, it's the second most popular verse in the Bible, the first being John 3.16. The second one is Philippians 4.13. And you go looking for it and you can find it absolutely everywhere. Utterly misused. Because you take it out of context. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And so people will say, oh, I've started a new diet this week, Philippians 4.13. 
Right? I can lose weight because God strengthens me. You see, football players have got it on their jerseys, right? Oh, I'm going to pound you into the dirt because God strengthens me, right? It's just terrible. No, I can be content with lots or with little. Inevitably, the people who quote Philippians 4.13, it's about the success that they're going to have. Nobody stops to remember Paul in prison as they quote Philippians 4.13. This isn't a blank check, right? If you trust Jesus enough, you can fly. That's not what it's saying. Trust in the Bible is not about, right, as long as you trust Jesus, you can jump off a cliff without a rope and you'll be fine. That's not what it means. To trust Jesus is to seek His kingdom, is to give who you are to Him. That's what it means to trust Jesus. Entrust, I think, is better. Trust makes it sound like I can do what I want and He's got my back covered. Entrust means give it to Him. Give Him who you are. Give Him your life. He will take good care of it, don't you worry about that. He will take good care of it into eternity because he's already dealt with all the bad stuff. The sin, done. Eternity, guaranteed. Give it to him. But in the giving to him, our lives then become lives of seeking his kingdom. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Trust Jesus. Live his way. Right? Seek His kingdom, seek His glory and His honour, His life and holiness, His heart, the salvation of the lost, His word dwelling in us. Flee sin, care for the needy, love the brothers and sisters. Always entrusting your eternity to Him. Knowing that in the here and now, He's got you. He knows what you need and He's more than able and willing to provide. You, you can face anything in this world. Did you know that? Not because you're powerful, not because Jesus is going to give you strength and suddenly you're going to overcome every adversity. No, you can face anything because He is on your side. Especially when we are weak, He is strong. Especially when we can't, He does. Worldly circumstances become nothing to us for I am his and he is mine. You see, the secret of contentment then is found in these two keys, because if we treasure the Lord Jesus above all else, then there is nothing that will take us from him. We already have the best thing. And if we trust him in all circumstances, then what happens in our life becomes secondary to our knowledge that Jesus has got us. Now, I want to go through three case studies, right? If, if that's the secret of contentment, simple to remember, okay, I reckon you can remember it from now to next week, love the Lord Jesus, treasure Jesus above all else, trust Him in everything. You reckon you can remember those two? Next week when I get up and I say, hey, we talked about contentment next week, what are you going to tell me? The first key is, treasure Jesus above all else, I'm just going to keep repeating it until you remember it, and secondly, Trust Jesus, right? Treasure and trust, treasure, trust, two T's, right? Treasure, trust. If you can remember that, we're good for next week. Treasure and trust. Okay, so let's talk about then contentment and anxiety. What does the Bible have to say about contentment and anxiety? Paul was truly at peace. What a remarkable thing. 
Can I remind you of his circumstances? He was in jail, quite likely going to be executed for blasphemy. In fact, in the end, as far as we know, he was executed. And yet there he sits, content. I think embodying Matthew 6 as much as anything else. Remember Matthew 6, that passage, don't worry about today. Don't worry about what you will eat and what you will wear. Don't worry about it. Look at the flowers, look at the birds God provides for them. Who by worrying is going to add a single day to their life? No, seek first the kingdom, seek first the righteousness of God, the rest will be added to you. I preached on that passage once at a previous church. A person came up to me after the service and said, you know, David, that is my single least favourite verse in the whole Bible. Because every time I hear about it, I get anxious about being anxious. <laughs> I just feel a weight of guilt that adds on to my anxiety because Jesus tells me not to be anxious and I'm an anxious person. And I hate it. Now, so I don't want to put a burden on you today. Okay? If you are an anxious person, I don't want you to walk out from today adding guilt to anxiety or anxiety about being anxiety. No, we need to think rightly about anxiety. Now, there's a wonderful book by a man called Paul Grimman called When the Noise Won't Stop. If you want to think much deeper on the topic, from a man who is a Bible teacher, he's a pastor, he's a current more college lecturer who himself wrestled with clinical anxiety. It's a tremendous book. I very much encourage you to read it. Paul Grimman, When the Noise Won't Stop. He helpfully divides the, our thinking about anxiety into two halves that we have to have both together. We have to recognise that the world is broken and that we are sinful. The world is a broken place. Remember last week, God's temporary anger displayed against the world means that all sorts of things don't work the way they should. Our bodies don't work the way our, they should. Our, our minds don't. Our circumstances are evil. And so all sorts of things are happening to produce responses that are ungodly. And we must remember that as well, that we are sinful. That there is lots about every single one of us that is not righteous. A lot of our anxiety is our fault. We're greedy. We're covetous. Right? We don't love, we don't trust. We don't depend on God, and what a surprise, we end up anxious. Now, the world doesn't accept that second bit, by and large, that, that there might be responsibility to be borne, that, that our sin might play a part, right? Anxiety, you're a victim of anxiety, it's a medical disease, we'll treat it in time, just let us find the right drugs and we'll sort it out. Whereas the Bible is very clear, there are sinful parts to it. And so, what do we do about this? Well, what you do about it is you learn to love Jesus more than anything else and you learn to trust Him in everything. It's not overnight. I'm not standing here telling you that by the time this sermon finishes, your anxiety must be gone and you must fully love Jesus and perfectly trust Him. What I'm saying is that every day as you preach the gospel to yourself, as you remind yourself of who Jesus is and who you are, step by step by step by step, we grow to treasure and to trust. It won't be finished till we get to heaven. <laughs> and yet it brings contentment. See, today isn't a command to stop being anxious. Today is an encouragement that every day you might take another small step towards knowing God's love, to treasure Him and to trust in Him.
So if you're somebody who wrestles with anxiety, what small steps are you going to start taking every day to treasure and to trust? Second case study, contentment and wealth, which is a really strange topic. I don't know if you noticed that again in, uh, in verse 12 of Philippians, I know how to make do with little, and we all think, yeah, okay, that's contentment. But he says, I know how to make do with a lot. I've learnt the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. I mean, what a strange idea. Why would you need to learn contentment when you have lots? Surely contentment is what you need to learn when you don't have very much, right? Isn't that how we think of it? I don't have enough, so I'm not content. When I have, then I'll be content. So why is Paul talking about being content in abundance? Australia currently, uh, from the latest statistics I could find, is the eighth richest nation in the world by median income. So Australians, just the, the bog standard median income, 50, 60,000, whatever Australian dollars it is, right? that's the median income, some will be less, some will be more. That, that puts us eighth in the whole world. And yet, one in four Australians will suffer from severe anxiety in their life. If wealth produced contentment, that shouldn't be the case. We have it all. We really do, by the way. Even if you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm, that's not me, right? I don't have that much. Maybe I'm just on a pension, maybe I... You know, my, my savings from my, my life haven't been all that much. Maybe you're a young person battling, I can't afford to buy a house, I can't afford whatever it might be. All of us are wealthy beyond the dreams of the kings of the past. We drive cars that are unimaginable. We live in houses, even if they're rented, that are so comfortable. We worry about our wealth. <laughs> right? Um, how's my super performing? Can I get a good enough investment? We worry about maintaining our standard of living. We worry about our satisfactions in our careers and our hobbies rather than worrying about whether we can eat. I mean, that's, that's most of the world worries about what they will eat. If not today, certainly tomorrow. We save up for the next holiday. Do you have a fridge, a television and a car? then you have more than the entirety of the rest of the world. Wealth makes treasuring and trusting Jesus really, really hard. Now, some of us will wrestle with anxiety. I wonder if pretty much all of us aren't going to find wealth the biggest barrier to contentment. Strange as that may seem. It's the wealthy who worry about their wealth. Am I going to lose it in the stock market crash? Is someone going to rob me? The person who has nothing doesn't care if they're robbed. I worked with a man who, at, whenever he parked his car, wound all the windows down. I walked away, left it unlocked. He said, that car is not worth a thing. Somebody wants to steal it, please do. What I don't want them to do is to break the window to see if there's money in there because I can't afford to replace the window. No, he, does, he didn't care. He had nothing. You should have seen the boss who drove the BMW 
Right? That went into the secure car park every single time. The wealthy who worry. Listen to the, some of the Bible's warnings. 1 Timothy 6, 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Fantastic. That's what we want. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Starkers, we come and starkers, we go. If we had food and clothing, we'll be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, let's be clear, right? It doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil, as it's often misquoted. The love of money. Why is that such a problem? Contentment comes when you treasure Jesus above all else. You love money, and guess what money's going to do to Jesus? Tell him to get lost. Friends, we need to take that seriously, don't we? Because we are already rich, and so any desire we have for more wealth is a desire to be rich. Hebrews 13, verse 5, he puts it this way, keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. Oh, to take that word to heart. He himself has said, and here's the trusting bit, if the money bit is the treasure bit, listen to the trusting bit, I will never leave you or abandon you. And so we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I won't be afraid, what can man do to me? Are you going to trust him or your money? Are you going to love him or your wealth? Enjoy your wealth by all means. It's a God-given gift. But the moment it becomes an idol, it will kill you. How do we do it? What do we do with contentment and wealth? At the extreme end, some of us may well need to do what Jesus told the rich young ruler to do. Do you remember what he told him to do? Give it all away. Now, I've never known somebody to do that. I've never known somebody to get to the point of saying, this is putting my eternity in jeopardy. I really must become a pauper. But I have seen people depart the faith because they love their wealth. That's extreme, isn't it? I mean, none of us can imagine doing that. The problem, again, isn't the money. Right? Okay, that's not the problem. So giving it away is only a solution if you have the problem, which is the love of money. And so I guess my application to you is the same application as to the anxious person. How are you going to take small steps every day to train your heart to love Jesus, to treasure Him more than anything else and to trust Him rather than anything else? How are you going to preach the gospel to yourself every day? How will you pray and meditate on His Word? How will you live hungry for His glory and life and heart and Word? How, how are you going to live the Christian life? To treasure and to trust. And so thirdly then, contentment and suffering... What are we to do in grief, in lonely sin, in sorrow for the lost, right? for those non-Christians who perish in despair at persecution? How are we supposed to be content then? Now again, remember Paul, right? He'd lived a terrible life, past and present, shipwrecked twice, 
beaten, run out of town. His friends had abandoned and betrayed him at various points in time. Now, in a Roman jail, awaiting execution. And yet, I think he's picking up in part on the Habakkuk reading that we had. Remember I mean, that, that wonderful song, right? Though the fig tree doesn't blossom, though there's no fruit on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though the flocks disappear from the pen, there are no herds in the stores, right? This is the promised land we're talking about. This is the land flowing with milk and honey and all the good things of God. So even though they're all gone, still, I will celebrate the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like that of a deer, enables me to walk on mountain heights for the choir director on stringed instruments. That would have been a fun song to hear. How are we going to do it? Rejoice in the God of my salvation. Trust Him. This view of God's provision, treasure Him. It's, honestly, it's hard not to sound trite when we're talking about this kind of topic. Suffering hurts. Grief is deep and painful. To stand here and say, well, treasure the Lord Jesus, trust Him and you'll find your contentment. It's hard not to sound trite. The, the, the Bible's not teaching us to look for the silver lining. The cloud is dark, but there's the sun peeping around the edges. Lovely platitudes meant to make us feel a bit better. No, grief is real. And painful but it changes the nature of our suffering to know that our God is in control to trust him and to know that regardless of whatever happens our greatest treasure cannot be taken from us the Lord Jesus is ours and we are his and so if you're suffering can I ask you what small steps are you going to take every day to look up out of your despair, to look up from whatever pit it is that you're currently finding yourself in and to see God's caring, powerful hand holding you close. How are you going to fix your eyes upon Jesus? To look full in His wonderful face? Because as you do, you will find that the lights of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we, we love you and we want to love you more. We trust you and we want to trust you more. Teach us, please, so to know who you are in your Son, the Lord Jesus, that we will treasure you beyond all and trust you in everything. Amen.